Are either one of these any good? Wow, this is a good movie. It's pretty good. Yeah, well, the director from yesterday doesn't think so. It stinks. You sorry? You waste all the film. <laughs> it's so bad. Big stars, big movies, and a big week. Maybe the biggest night for the movies coming up very, very soon. This is the Screening Room Podcast sponsored by Marcus Crosswoods Theater. With a 70-foot-wide ultra screen featuring Dolby Atmos surround sound and Dream Lounger recliners. Welcome. She is Hope Madden. He's George Wolf. So Sunday night, the 90th annual Academy Awards. And we've talked a little bit about our favorites over the last few weeks on the podcast. But I think for the most part... Our, our bets are that the acting awards are pretty locked in. Yes, I would think so. I think Frances McDormand will be uh, lead female. Gary Oldman for lead male. And then the supporting, I don't think there's really any chance of upsets on either of those. No, very, really very slim. So so yeah. Sam Rockwell and Allison Janney, we think, are, are pretty supporting much shoe-ins. male and male. Yeah. I think really the only question is... Well, picture, to be honest with you, because I think yeah. Guillermo del Toro is not maybe as, as he's not maybe a Gary Oldman lock, but I mean, I think Guillermo del Toro is going to take away best director. I agree. But I, I don't know if I think Shape of Water is going to take away best picture. I give the edge to three billboards. Yep, uh, I do too. I, uh, we're, we're looking at maybe one of those years where they split. You know, you give As they the, have done in the last yeah, two years. You give the directing a nod to Del Toro this year for The Shape of Water, and I'm with you, I think. Although, if The Shape of Water wins, it won't shock me. No, that's the closest of the major yeah. races, definitely. It is close, uh, but I do think three billboards in a, in a case where the director isn't even nominated, and we talked about that, Martin McDonough, the director's not even nominated, but yet, if we had to bet right now, we would pick three billboards to win uh, Best Picture. So we will see. Just found out, I just found out today, I didn't know this, that... Again this year, the best picture is going to be announced by Faye Dunaway and Warren Beatty. That's funny. Back for another round, <laughs> another go at it, and I. Everyone will be on their you know most alert. Oh. I'm sure. But uh, no, I'm not blaming them at all. No. Uh, for for last last year's, it, it certainly brought some excitement to the proceedings. Did? Yes. Because I remember you got up and went in the other room. Yeah, because you, you thought a- after you see who wins, you don't need to hear the end of it. And so, yeah, it's late at night. I and, saw you, it. and you thought, we both thought that for the first time and maybe ever, we got everyone right. Yes, we, we did. Every pick we made came in. You got up and went to the other room and I started yelling, wait a minute. <laughs> <I'm> like, what? <laughs> yeah. We didn't get everyone right, although I certainly had no problems with Moonlight winning no, last year. No, so, so happy about that. Anyway, actually. I like that. That was that was cool to hear that uh, Warren Beatty and Faye Dunaway coming back. So we'll see uh, how it shakes out. But we think it's it's those most of those are, are pretty well locked down. But we've got a couple of big stars and a couple of big movies and a smaller movie to talk about in theaters, and of course the DVD and video releases this week. So let's start with the latest from Jennifer Lawrence playing a ballerina recruited to Sparrow School, a Russian intelligence service where she's forced to use her body as a weapon. Wasn't that a hit by Pat Benatar? <laughs> this one's called Red Sparrow. I was told to take a man to a hotel. They said that he was an enemy of the state. Take off your dress. And then exchange my mother could get the doctor she needed. Instead, they cut his throat. There could be no witnesses. So they gave me a choice. Die or become a sparrow. From this day forward, you will become sparrows. Weapons in a global struggle for power. You'll be trained in psychological manipulation. 
You must learn to push yourself beyond all limitation. When we are finished with you, the person you were will no longer exist. Jennifer Lawrence could use a hit, and I don't think this is going to be it. Yeah, she she certainly could. She's been on a bit of a downward slide. Yes. You know, she had that she had that couple year period where winning, well, she was nominated for three Oscars, won one of them in a three year span. Yeah, and all well deserved. Oh, absolutely. Uh, in good movies and critical and and uh, popular mm-hmm, movies. Mm-hmm. But then she's been on a slide. The choices are are a little bit have been have become a little bit uh, curious. Although we did like Mother. Yes, we, we did. did. Although, and, and I and I applaud her and everybody involved in the movie for making that risky choice. It didn't yeah. pay off. It did not. Uh, it mean, was pretty. Uh, it was not well received critically or commercially. That's being polite. Yes. But we we definitely uh, appreciated the ambition of of all involved, yep. and, and we did like it. But that has that has to count as pretty much of a miss. Yes. Uh, may, you know, maybe twenty years from now it won't be. No. Uh, but right now it definitely is. So this one, yeah, not likely to uh, turn the fortunes around. I think anytime soon. It's it was a I guess a big a best selling book, right? Yes, it's a spy, you know, an espionage thriller. The problem there, and there are many, but one is the execution. I should say that the, of the many problems, Jennifer Lawrence is not one. She does a fine job. Yeah, and because in she a lot is of, very she talented. is very talented. She, she finds is. a way. I think she finds a way to make almost every character just a little bit different. Just, I think so too, and and she she has a knack for sort of this mask of expressionless. Ness that at the same time can seem uh, upset or hiding or I mean she, I mean, she does which is perfect for a spy mm-hmm. right I mean she you know she she uses her face quite well in this film to express nothing and everything at the same time and those bangs yeah those are some bangs those are, <laughs> I mean I I shouldn't throw stones because on many an occasion throughout my life I've had some curious bang choices but uh, these are pretty severe yeah they're severe they're severe bangs she's a ballerina. That breaks her leg. Badly. In an ugly, ugly way. A very ugly way. her ballerina career. Yes, it does. And her uncle runs a a part of the Russian spy organization and basically gives her no choice but to become a Red Sparrow, which is... How do I put this exactly? They are are trained specifically to use sex Mm -hmm. to get information from people. Yes, Right. So they're not... It's not like she's been trained on weaponry or anything like that. Didn't you hear? Her body's a weapon. Yes, I, I just heard that. You know, we have to say, you, you mentioned her uncle. We have to give a shout out to Matthias Schonertz. Think is how I love him in we everything. Always, every time we see him, like that guy. He's yep. got another hard to pronounce name, yep. but he's always solid. Yeah, so if you haven't seen him, and he's in Rust and Bone, he's in The yep. Drop, he's in The Madding Crowd, Far From the Madding Crowd. Yep. Always uh, good. And he's very good in this film. He's very good in this film. And Jeremy Irons is in it too. And though his accent comes and goes, <laughs> you still, it's hard to go wrong with Jeremy Irons. That's he's right. just great. And Charlotte and, Rampling? Charlotte Rampling also, accent comes and goes. People have a tough time with the Russian accent. And actually, even though Jennifer Lawrence's accent is a little cartoonish, it's a little Boris and Natasha, it's probably the most consistent throughout the film, so we'll give her credit for that. Here are a couple problems with this movie. So, you know, just a year ago, Charlize Theron made Atomic Blonde. So it's a, it's a you know, it's an espionage. Action-packed. That's the thing, right? What you'll notice in Red Sparrow is there is no action. There's maybe one fight. There is one fight sequence. Um there are no car chases. There's there's no action in this movie at all, which right. means Curious. it really relies on the twisting and turning of the plot, except that it it so many of the elements are resolved so conveniently that you, you can't hang a film on that either. Mm-hmm. So the other thing about 
when you compare this to Atomic Blonde, besides just the, the dazzling action in Atomic Blonde, is that this film is so, there is so much queasying sexual degradation throughout this movie. Well, it certainly doesn't come off as, as sort of the kick-ass female empowering mm-hmm. action flick of Atomic Blonde. It's a, a little hard to stomach. Uh, not even that, but when they go into this training, she's at this school that apparently involves all this sophisticated training, but all we see is one type of training. Yes, exactly. So the idea, now they're not they're not being trained on how to use guns or how to beat people up. They're being trained on how to, how to determine, they, it says, every person is a puzzle of need, and you just figure out what that need is become the answer to that need and you can get anything you want out of them. But they never train these women. Well, there are some men in the class. They never train these sparrows on how to figure out the puzzle of need and take advantage. They just train them on how to degrade themselves sexually. And it's hard to watch four mm-hmm. or five or six times. Yeah, that's disappointing because you, you would like to think that at least in the novel version, it gets much more layered and there's much more to it to round out this character. Yeah, I would and, hope so. And make the entire movie, you know, a little bit more meaningful with all the, the twists and the turns. And as you say, anytime there's a movie like this with a bunch of double-crossing, you know, the more convenient, the more contrived, it just really, it lessens everything. It does. You know, it, it makes does. everything just feel uh, inauthentic. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and that's the way this movie comes off. So we should mention the director, Francis Lawrence. Yeah. No, no relation. <laughs> He's done some solid stuff, a lot of it with Jennifer Lawrence. Yeah, he did directed... the last three Hunger Games films. Yeah. And so all but the first one. Exactly. And uh, one of those especially, I think all of them were solid, but mm. one especially. Catching uh, Fire, Catching that's the one you really liked. Really, really liked it. So just doesn't gel in this one. No. Another big star who could use a big hit is Bruce Willis. He is back as a family man, becoming a vigilante killing machine when his family is violently attacked by robbers. The reboot of Death Wish. I love my family. When they needed me most. 911, what if you're emergency? These men are breaking into my house. I think they're here. <gasps> no. I failed to protect them. The men who did it are out there. So there's nothing that you can do? Is that what you're saying? If a man really wants to protect what's his, I want to buy a gun. He has to do it for himself. You're not a cop! Somebody has to do it! Locked and ready to rock. I'll see. They called him a guardian angel. He saved my life. The original Death Wish, of course, back in the, the 70s with Charles Bronson. And then I think they stopped at, at maybe five into the 90s. They mm-hmm. went into the 90s mm-hmm. with the Death Wish. And they keep the same character name here, Paul Kersey, but they change him from an architect to a surgeon. And one of the many eye-rolling things done in this film by director Eli Roth. And let's, let's just start at the, right at the jump. Neither one of us are fans of, Eli, of no. Eli Roth. And it's because of just the kind of things that pop up in this movie. I mean, he's a doctor, he's a surgeon, he saves lives by day, and then he starts taking them at night. And just in case you don't get the contrast to that, it's shoved down your throat with a split-screen montage of 
getting your tools ready to kill and then getting your tools ready to save lives. So it, it's just things like that. No subtlety whatsoever, no nuance. And there's so many things wrong with this movie. I think that Roth and his screenwriter here, Joe Carnahan, who has done some decent work. He, he wrote a movie a few years ago I really enjoyed called The Gray yeah. with Liam Neeson. Liam Neeson, yeah, sure. like that. He's done some decent work, but the script is a mess. I, I, I got the feeling that they thought, especially Roth, thought they were making some sort of satire. And, and they're not, not at all. Satire is a hard thing to do. It's done with really smart, incisive humor, nuance, and, you know, strategic subtlety. Nuance is not really Eli Roth's wheelhouse. Not at all. No. I mean, if you're not familiar with him, he started off big. Well, he did Cabin Fever, but it was really Hostel that made him break through. And then he did Green Inferno a couple years oh, ago, which was unwatchable. Just uh, And just he's just awful. not good. He's no. just not he doesn't certainly doesn't work in the gray areas. And this one, of course, with the, the gun debate going on right now, you, you could say, all right, why didn't they just postpone this movie a little bit? Because it is so tone deaf. So tone deaf. And that's the only really thing it would have improved. It wouldn't have waiting to release this movie certainly would have wouldn't have made it a better movie. It just would have made it a little less tone deaf. But so into the the current culture this movie comes, totally different culture than back in the seventies when it when it first debuted, but it's it. You've got to point out though that the original character, this whole original story, came from a novel that came out in the seventies, and in the novel, that's where you get the title, "The Death Wish," because right. the character actually didn't care if he lived or died, and the novel was trying to point out the futility yeah, of a this vigil- yeah. point, this type of vigilante violence, and the original movie and then its subsequent sequels move farther and farther away from that sure. into the vigilante as hero mm-hmm. and this picks up where that left off and i think roth he, he tries to have it both ways because as he frames the character becoming this vigilante that is dubbed by the press and social media as the grim reaper as he builds him up as a hero he tries to balance it out by interspersing these little vignettes of chicago that's where it takes place chicago of chicago talk radio djs kind of giving the rebuttal like uh what's this this white guy is killing going around just murdering black people i'm not all right with that so but it's just it just becomes nothing lip but service, lip service. Yep, it's that's, lazy that's all it becomes like okay here i've thrown this bone to you so now i'm good right are we good but in truth what it's saying is the police are just not violent enough that's what it's saying the, it, it, this is not the time to say that oh boy it really does you really it's hard to get away from that message that the police aren't tough enough i've got to be tougher i'm judge jury and executioner and not only that but it tries to, another another bit that makes you feel like he thought he had some kind of satire going on here. The two detectives that are trying to figure out who the Grim Reaper is, and somehow Kersey Bruce Willis keeps his identity hidden, even while viral, even while uh, everybody is taking shooting footage of him. Yeah, oh, and just because he has a hoodie on. Yeah, and, and that, but then he still walks the streets and into crowded places at night with his hoodie on, and nobody says, "Hey, that's the viral video guy." It's one of the many eye-rolling things about the script, but it's lesser of many evils uh, on all because we talked about a script with contrivances, and this this certainly has a few of them. But uh, so it has this weird, corny sitcom humor going on between these two detectives that are on the case. Mm-hmm. Like, what this is so out of place, and is this more of like what he what Roth thought he was doing, making a satire? Um, so it's it's just all the the tone is so wrong in so many places and disjointed, but the main, main worldview of the movie 
is just cemented by the end when it becomes a good guy with the guns ultimate Rambo fantasy. And by then, it's very clear what the what the you know the the point of this movie is. Mm-hmm. That this guy is doing what he has to do, yeah. get all the ammo you can, and and, and guns blazing. Mm-hmm. And not only is it tone deaf, but you know what? Even if you Agree with that. Yeah. Okay, fine. Even right. if that's your worldview, you can find many other movies that do it better than this sure. one. Sure. It's the worst of the two this week. Wow. Let's put it that way. Mm-hmm. And you know me, I'm a big Bruce Willis fan. Yes, you and are. And I was um I was very, very disappointed. I honestly in I, this. I have a hard time understanding why that is. I mean, I don't <laughs> think Bruce Willis hasn't really performed what since Moonrise Kingdom and Looper. They both came Moonrise out the same Kingdom year and, Looper, and you're yeah. like, Wow. Bruce Willis acting again. But. I, I, I will give you that. He and there are there are definitely parts of this movie. Some would say a lot of parts where he just seems like he's disinterested and sleepwalking through it. But there are other scenes I think where he's not in this movie. Certainly not the entire performance, not at all. Uh, but I will give you that. Hopefully, we'll see better from both Bruce and. J-Law in the future. One more to talk about uh, in limited release this week. It's a movie set on New Year's Eve when Jeff and Lindsay cover up a terrible crime and find themselves entangled in a Hitchcockian web of deceit and madness. Midnighters. Is there anything you've done that would make someone come after you? I am Detective Smith. Does your sister live with you? There is a dead man in your garage. You're the one who brought him here. We have to do something about this mess. What happened? He showed up right after you left. And he knows everything about us. Deceit and madness. Ooh, exciting. Hitchcockian. Yes. This is the debut feature for the Ramsey brothers. Julius Ramsey has been a director. Uh, for uh, a lot of TV, most, Walking Dead, most, most, uh, yeah, most notably The Walking Dead. Now, this is interesting. His brother Alston, who is the screenwriter, up until now has been a political speechwriter. <laughs> yeah, and he switches over to to uh, writing the screenplay. And it's it's not a horrible movie. It's just a movie that is it's capable. It's a competent. Cap- yeah, competent. You know, by the numbers, mm-hmm. it's one you've seen many times. Mm-hmm. All the elements and mm-hmm. everything is just good enough. You know, the the pacing, the shots. The uh, script, the performances, and uh, you'll, you're going to find better thrillers. You're certainly going to find worse as things start with, well, kind of start with a... Uh, bag of money. Bag of money. A couple. You know, when you find a, a, a bag full of, say, $50,000 and you think, should we keep this? <laughs> it's usually a bad idea. It is. Ask Josh Brolin. <laughs> Ask anybody in a movie because <laughs> someone's going to come looking for that bag of money. <laughs> And things just kind of go go haywire from there with revenge and trying to figure out who's double-crossing who and whose money is it and what's the deal. And uh, But I, I will say one of the performers in this movie uh, who plays um, Lindsay's sister, Hannah, is played by Perla Haney-Jardine. Mm-hmm. And she was, not only did she also play uh, Steve Jobs' daughter in Steve Jobs, mm-hmm. she was the little BB in Kill Bill Volume 2. Nice. All grown up. I, Crazy. When I saw that, I'm like, oh man, that is awesome. So yeah, not a not a horrible movie, not a great movie, just a capable thriller about a bag of money. <laughs> and you know what? You might not want to keep it, and that's Midnighters. Uh, got a few opening on home entertainment this week. The first one, I think it's the one that we have odds on to win 
animated film of the year if at the Oscars. If you don't have odds for Coco to win the animated film of the year, you're losing. Yeah, because it's a weak it's a weak year for animation. Although I also like Loving Vincent, but it's not going to win. Coco is going to win, and it's not one of the best. Because, as we said, it was a weak year this year, but it's it's certainly worthwhile. That's the thing. It's a great movie. Uh, it, it's just, you know, I watch a lot of Pixar. I love, as everyone should, love Pixar. They set a high bar. So is this Toy Story? Is this up? No. But it's a great movie. It, it really is. It's beautiful to look at. There's a lot of singing skeletons. You know, that's, <laughs> yeah, yeah. that's my bag. And it's just really great to watch something that is so sort of culturally vibrant and not so white, yeah. which is what you usually get. Yep. And, you know, and that's the catch-22 with Pixar. I mean, is it fair to judge them against their own incredible highs? Not really, but it's almost it's almost impossible not to do when right. you go to the studio, you know, that brought you these classics like you just mentioned. And then, you OK, this is not up to that standard, but it's certainly worthwhile. Yeah, it's great. It yeah. is. So uh, probably going to win on uh, Sunday. And another one has a good chance of winning three billboards outside Ebbing, Missouri. Uh, is out this week, and yeah, I mean, we've talked about it before. It's Oscar nominated, got a ton. It's got fantastic performances, very worthwhile. Oh my goodness, yes, very see worthwhile. It now. See it now. Darkest Hour comes out, also nominated for not only uh, picture, but Gary Oldman. We think is going to win, and we both think that he's actually better than the movie. I think everybody does, and the truth is, the longer this goes on, the more the movie itself, I think, gets too much crap. It's not a bad movie. It really isn't. But- Neither, neither one of us would have nominated it. No, for goodness, best no. no. Oh, heck no. no. But, you know, if you love Dunkirk, as we did, it's such a great, it's the other side of the yeah. coin. It tells basically the same story, but from Winston Churchill's point of view, it's kind of fascinating great in that bookend. way. Great bookend to Dunkirk, and also has some very, some some issues still very relevant to today and yes. what's going on with, with the world. So, yeah, still worth checking out Darkest Hour. And the other one out on Home Entertainment, Murder on the Orient Express, which was pretty much of a disappointment, although... I think the cinematography really is the thing that jumps out. Exactly. No, it is really, really gorgeous to look at. Uh, it's wasted uh, in a way because so much of the film is is set inside cramped quarters, but it right. looks great. A lot of the performances are great. Michelle Pfeiffer is great. And, you know, if you like those, Agatha Christie, right. very drawing room, you know, <laughs> murder mysteries, I don't see how you'll dislike it. I just can't see it really generating a lot of passion. Yeah, so actually a better week in home entertainment this week than... In the theaters, and uh, let us know what you think. Always easy to get a hold of us on Twitter is the easiest way. That's at Mad Wolf, M-A-D-D-W-O-L-F. Always glad to hear from you. Also on Instagram and Facebook, you can find us at Mad Wolf Columbus and the written reviews. And also our other podcast, which is Fright Club for you horror film lovers. We're right right there with you. You can find that on uh, the main website, which is madwolf.com. Looking at a couple of things I'm excited about for next week. A couple of things not so much. A Wrinkle in Time, the new Ava DuVernay. That, yeah, a lot that, of people looking yeah, forward to that. Very definitely. For me, more the sequel to The Strangers. Yeah. Pray at Night. It's looking taken forward a while. to it. Has. I, I, I thought they might have done it by now. I guess I kept hearing that maybe mm. they were. Well, now they finally are. Yeah. That's a great one. And then uh, Gringo, that doesn't look so good. Boy. Hurricane Heist, that looks that looks Sharknado bad. Yeah, but I was what do say, I are know? Sharks involved. <laughs> yeah, Gringo, that's David Oyelowo and Charlie Charlie Theron, Theron, and yeah. I think Joel Edgerton yes, again. Yes, I believe. So lots of talent, but boy, i got to be honest, the trailer looks just bad. But what do we know? Maybe we'll love it. We don't know anything. No, we don't. Yes, we, do. we try to say that we do every week. <laughs> uh, so until next week, get a hold of us if you can. Uh, I'm George Wolf. I'm Hope Madden. And this is the Screening Room Podcast, a presentation of the Columbus Radio Group and Marcus Crosswoods Theaters. Until next week, enjoy the Oscars. See ya. 
I do wish we could chat longer, but I'm having an old friend for dinner. Bye.